1: Welcome to the Action Network podcast, the number one show for the invested sports fan. All right, here we go.
2: It's the most wonderful time of the year.
1: What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Action Network podcast. This is the college football bowl betting preview part three. That means we have college football playoff semifinals. If you hate bowl games, go listen to NPR. I'm um, stuck in with me as always is Colin Wilson. Uh, first of all, Merry Christmas. How was your holiday? I should start off cordially.
2: I ran raved about how happy I was the bowl season was back on Christmas Eve night, uh, you know, because we were without that for a couple of years and then felt real great about the closing line value that I got on BYU only to have some of the wackiest, craziest Mac referee Tuesday night, no pylon cam, no vertical, the field goal cam. Like I don't know that I've never seen the island be more island than what we saw on Christmas Eve.
1: Full game fever, catch it.
2: Yeah, they took away. Would look like a made field goal. Would look like a touchdown. And then
1: on third and two, I felt like I was watching the Browns. I don't know what that call was. <clears throat> number one, you're just running it right down their throat the whole game. Number two, they don't have any timeouts. And number three, if you are going to throw it. Don't do whatever that was, that play call. Brutal. But we're going to get into Friday. On the last podcast, we covered the Friday afternoon bowls. We'll touch on any updated thoughts at the end on those. We're going to go through the Friday night bowls. We're going to go through the Saturday bowls. Then we'll get to the college bowl playoff semis. We'll close out here underdog Underdog Moneyline Parlay. Um, and then uh, the two bowls on Monday. And then for those that are new or forgot, we'll have a – an episode that comes out on Monday, as usual, and that episode will be loaded because we have like 10, 11, 12 bowls to cover between, you know, Tuesday, New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, and then well, will a podcast again that comes out on Friday. That one will be a lot shorter. There's three bowls over the weekend, and we'll also talk FCS National Championship, which is on January 11th, and then after that, it's just uh, the National Championship after that. Uh so before we get into that though you know we've had i don't know fifteen seven six i don't know seventeen eighteen bowls so far somewhere in that neighborhood i uh, I think I am dead even so far um and what sums up my bowl season so far is i had f a u plus three close plus nine they won by i don't know forty and then i had f i u plus three they closed minus one and a half that game makes me the i'm so mad at that game like i the third and tens at Arkansas State in the first half. Then a 26-yard missed field goal because I had second half, too. That caused me the second half. But I also got lucky in second half, App State, UAB, under a scoreless fourth quarter. But I'm about it even right now. I can't complain too much. Central Michigan was an awful play. Kent State, they're my boys. I'm so mad we can't bet them anymore. How about you? You want to <laughs> mention just a game or two so far?
2: I want to say, you know, that trust the power rating. The Action Network power ratings have been on the side of the team that has won. Uh, you know, when you look at – Central Florida, it, it had, we had the Action Network power rating at minus 19 for that game. And I know that it took some wackiness and lots of havoc and some defensive scores to happen, but Marshall was never covering in that game and a point spread that got down to 14 and a half and eventually, you know, came back up a little bit. But, you know, we, we had 19 on that game. We had 12 and a half on App State. Should have listened to myself. Instead of that game bobbling around 17, 16 and a half, game landed straight on 14. Trust the power rating. Use that as a basis and... You know, get into matchups. Don't listen so much with the noise, with the, the motivational. I mean, we're going to find out a lot about motivational spots. But, you know, start with the power rating first. And and that, I mean, just go from there and look at matchups.
1: All right. Well, it hasn't been a fast start to bowl season, just like last year. I think we're pretty similar start to where we were last year. So it's time to close strong, uh, starting with Friday. Uh, and like I said, we'll touch on any updates we have on UNC Temple, Wake Forest, Michigan State. Uh, later in the podcast, as we did cover them in the last episode. So let's start with Oklahoma State, Texas A&M, Friday, 6.45 Eastern on ESPN uh, in Houston. Texas A&M is a a six-and-a-half-point favorite, uh, over under 53-and-a-half, 54, 53-and-a-half, depending on where you look. Uh, Of note in this game is it looks like Spencer Sanders is going to go for Oklahoma State. Hubbard is also going to go. And one of the things that, you know, and, and Hubbard is he's 64 yards away from 2,000. He's the guy to watch in this game, uh, especially because Texas a and star defensive tackle um, is out, and he sat out because in preparation of the NFL draft, Justin Matabuke. And Jaden Peavy is a, is a fine backup, but the Texas A&M defensive line is solid overall. But that's they're going to miss him uh, up front. When I look at this game, I know that you like the under, and mm-hmm. that's where I'm looking as well. Um, what I, you know, one of the things when I first look is I say, okay, so, I mean, the Oklahoma State does not give up a lot of explosive passing plays, right? You know, it's I think that this matchup sets up well for them to contain this Texas a offense, which has no explosiveness whatsoever, right? If you look at this Texas a offense, there's no explosiveness. I think that they might be able to, you know, efficiently move the ball a little bit up and down the field, but it's just. It, I don't see that. There's not going to be a lot of big plays in this game. I also think Oklahoma State, without Tylen Wallace, you know, Texas A&M's defensive explosiveness numbers aren't great against the pass. But you have to remember they played Tua and Trevor Lawrence. And I mean, if you just look at their schedule and they played
2: LSU three, number one. You know, so yeah.
1: Yeah. So it's crazy. So I, I think without Tyler Wallace, secondary is battle tested. I like some of their, their guys in that secondary. So I, I don't think they're going to let up a lot deep. And uh, I think it's going to be a lot of Hubbard, you know, maybe Sanders a little bit with his legs. So I think this is just, you know, both of these teams efficiently moving the ball a little bit clock running some punts, you have some two good punters You know, two good special teams units. And then Oklahoma State, they're horrible in the red zone all year. That's where Texas A&M, I think, will really clamp down. Remember the Texas A&M schedule. They've had a a gauntlet of a schedule. But I think the line is ultimately about right. But I agree with you on the under here.
2: Remember, Texas A&M is a snail. What What are you seeing here? Well, first off, the Tex- Texas A&M and Oklahoma State, if you're interested in 2020 college football, this is the bowl game you want to watch. These rosters return an immense amount of talent, uh, you know, too deep on both sides of the ball. And especially when you look at Oklahoma State, the decision hasn't been made yet by Ch- Chuba Hubbard. If he's going to return next year, he's, he's still contemplating his decision. He'll make it after the bowl game. But if he returns, I mean, these are going to be, th- this game is going to serve as a springboard, uh, possibly for a team to be, heavily overrated going into next season. I mean, that's enough I'll say about 2020 because Texas A&M schedule really compared to what it went through this year, next year is just cake. So we'll see how they look in this game. But overall, you're right. Their roster has got to get faster. They're not an explosive group whatsoever through the air or on the ground. And, you know, as far as Oklahoma State on the offensive side, you're right. Spencer Sanders has returned to practice. Gundy mentioned that senior quarterback Drew Brown has earned the right to play snaps in the Texas Bowl with his play down the stretch. Now, the question is, is how much of Sanders are we going to see off the thumb injury? How much are we going to see in Drew Brown? He's a senior, uh, so we won't see him at Oklahoma State again. You have to wonder if Gundy is, you know, protect the goods for the future or let him loose and have him have this game, you know, setting up next year. I don't think we need any more demonstrations about how good Spencer Sanders is. I don't think, I don't think Gundy needs to see it anymore. The kid after the, after the bye week this year just went completely crazy for the Pokes. Uh, and, and was having, you know, fantastic reads, no more interceptions. Uh, so we'll see how much Drew Brown plays compared to Spencer Sanders. You know, so I, I do like the under in this game. And really it's because of the pace of play. Texas a is 112 in, in seconds per play. Uh, the total went under in Oklahoma State's final three games in which Drew Brown was the quarterback against Kansas, West Virginia, Oklahoma. Texas A&M never went over in any game outside of Kyle Field. Uh, I think this is going to be slow pace. It's going to be on the ground. There's going to be a lot of Hubbard. Uh, no explosiveness whatsoever. Give me the under here.
1: Completely agree with you. I'll, I'll sprinkle some on the first half under and some on the game. I you know if there's some flukes in the first half. I might come back on the under in the second half. Um, And and like I said, one of the other things to keep in mind is that the Big 12, like Hubbard averaged something silly, 6.4 yards per carry, and the Texas A&M defense, you know, their secondary had some subpar numbers, but look at the offenses they played, and then look at some of the defenses that Oklahoma State played. So I don't think it's going to be as easy for Hubbard and the Oklahoma State offense as it may have been throughout the season, and I think Texas A&M, their secondary is going to look a lot better. Then, you know, when you're facing you know, these number one teams in the country and you're facing now a team that doesn't have its top receiver and it's really only explosive threat. So I agree with you there on the under. right, let's move on to the next game. Uh, let's, we, we can make this an argument because I think I'm looking at the other side. Okay. I haven't hit it yet. But uh, USC, Iowa, Iowa sitting at two, two-and-a-half point favorite, over under 52-ish. This game is out in Qualcomm Stadium in San Diego. No weather. Uh, as you would expect out in San Diego. To, no, char-
2: no chargers either.
1: Uh, yeah, no chargers to, to uh, take account of. But, you know, when I look at this game, first of all, the first thing I look at is it's Clay Helton. So this is what always gives me pause. Um, well, uh, Clay Helton is a dog and he's away from home. He's 9-21-2 against the spread on the road or on a neutral. And just overall, as a dog away from home, 2-11 against the spread. That includes 0-3 and bowls, all three of those were against Big Ten opponents the past three years. Uh, I also should mention these are two solid special teams units with two really solid kickers, uh, something to throw out here. But here's – let me argue for why I think USC might be a little undervalued. And it has to do with – you know, their offense obviously is really good, right? They have maybe outside of Alabama the best receiving core in the country. Slovis, at quarterback, um, who's a potential, you know, Heisman next year. He's going to put up numbers. Um But their offense, you know, they run the air raid, Graham Harrell's air raid. It's really efficient, um, and they can move the ball through the air. They've had some injuries at back, but what I'm I'm worried about is injuries on the defensive side, right? So you have – and their secondary's been pretty good, but their front seven's been really bad, like really bad. And the concern here is if you look at a lot of the underlying metrics and the advanced metrics, I should say – is that they're going to just get pushed around by a physical Iowa team. You know, if you look at a lot of like the line yards and stuff for and some of their numbers against the run. But what gives me a little bit of pause is you had guys like, you know, Hufanga at safety, Drake Jackson, Christian Rector, three of their best defenders who missed a lot of time this year. And they played – they only have two seniors on this defense, so they played a ton of sophomores and freshmen just anyway, but also that were filling in for those guys. They're now as healthy as they've been all year. Those freshmen and sophomores – you know, how to have improved from some of that playing time. Maybe the time off also helps them catch up. They're healthy now in defense. so I'm thinking that some of their defensive numbers, they're not as bad as some of their defensive numbers for the year state. So, you know, and, and one of the things they really did struggle with is quarterbacks, mobile quarterbacks off the edge. That's not Nate Stanley. So at least they can remove that aspect of it. So I don't think that there's a ton of value with you know, USC. I don't think I'd play them now. But if this creeps up, I'm thinking of playing USC plus three since I make it closer to a pick you're worried about some USC motivation, obviously Helton and some other things. So what what do you
2: see here? Laying points with Iowa can be tricky considering, you know, uh, they're they're kind of offensively inept at times. And you're right. You can't trust these advanced stats that we have on USC's defense because they've been hurt most of the year. So to sit there and throw out and say that they're bad at this and bad at that, I mean, they haven't had a full roster on defense most of the season. So it's not really a good handicap there. But I think the thing that I cannot get off of is... USC and the air raid attack. And specifically, let's look at how Iowa has handled the air raid attack. In 2017, North Texas came in, you know, with Seth Rotrell, a young Mason Fine. And Ferenc, you know, said after the game, he said, listen, they're running air raid system. It's similar to what Matt Campbell does at Iowa State. Post route, go route, single back, no back. And, you know, but, you know, they were able to shut them down. They beat them 31 to 14. It's worth mentioning that Iowa State still has not beaten Iowa. Every game's been extremely close, but Iowa State and whatever air raid version they're running has not been able to beat Iowa. So, Ferencz has not had any issues at all defending the air raid. Iowa's 27th in defensive passing success rate that showed against Minnesota in a win against them earlier this year. Deeper look at the numbers, Iowa's 6th against pass explosiveness. So, they really can keep everything in front of them. They have a sack rate of 19th. And the biggest matchup, if you want to look at NFL talent, edge rusher A.J. Epinelli, Versus, you know, uh, you know, offensive tackle Austin Jackson for USC. That's going to be an NFL. That's going to be a Sunday matchup to keep your eyes on. I'm not fading USC because of Clay Helton and his. You know, he hasn't been able to cover bowls, or he just isn't prepared. And there's a ton of penalties with USC all the time. The thing that I keep coming back to is air raid offenses and bowls. I mean, everybody comes back and says, "Well, Leach is terrible in bowls." But if you listen to Leach talk about the air raid for over a decade, he hates having time off. He hates having bye weeks. He hates having time off in between bowls because it takes his quarterback and his wide receivers out of sync. They have to be in sync for the air raid to work. And then I just got blasted by Florida Atlantic because SMU and Shane Michelle could not complete a pass. He was all over the place. He's behind the receivers, over the receivers. I start thinking about other air raids and bowl games before outside of uh, of Mike Leach. Uh, And and they've had issues like Kevin Sumlin running the air raid at Texas A&M, lost his last two bowls. Uh, There are other air raid attacks that I can think of. You know, I know it's going to be in our full write-up on the Action Network, but air raids with time off have really been slow. You know, if the connection is not there between the quarterback and the wide receivers, that team generally does not win, and it may take a couple quarters to get there. So because Iowa is so good in pass defense and because I don't trust air raids with time off, I'm definitely backing Iowa on the money line. It's uh, two, two and a half. I can see that it's trending up. So, I I mean, I wouldn't blame anyone for taking USC at a field goal or better. You know, laying points with Iowa is, uh, you know, like I said, tough to do. But really, this is all about, Forenz has been excellent against Air Raids, and Air Raids with time off have not been a good bet. You make a good point,
1: sir. I mean, they're, they're probably going to run a lot of their 4 5 and there's some similarities to what they do and what, you know, Washington does against the air raid. And they're going to drop a lot of guys back, keep everything in front of them, you know, make USC go the length of the field without making a mistake, which is, I think the right way to approach an air raid. You know, you can't really sit there and try and play man. You know, Utah found that out. They find that out every year um, against Washington State besides this year, but they did against USC. So I think that their scheme does – fit and, and that's one of the reasons why you know I don't necessarily love this over so I look at it and I say Iowa should be able to move the ball on the ground I think that they can complete some short passes then I say USC should be able to move the ball through the air a little bit but then I look and I say all right the USC defense is probably a little better than their numbers indicate Iowa's defense you know has a scheme that can fit against you know match up at least against this USC offense and then I go into Kirk Ferentz, super conservative play caller right I mean he just is as conservative as it gets. They also play really slow. They're 108th in seconds per play. They also can't finish drives. They're 109th in finishing drives on offense. And on the other side of the field, they excel at stopping teams once they get down near the red zone. They're second in finishing drives on defense, Iowa. So Iowa plays really slow. They call really conservative game. They can't finish drives, and they prevent you from finishing drives. And then you have potential rust for the air raid. So all those factors, I can't really back the over here, even though – you know, in a vacuum, I might play it based just on the number.
2: I completely agree with you on the under. And, and the thing is, is I have this projected at 55, but do you kind of throw that out when you have an air raid versus a great pass defense like Iowa? So I think the number is short to take an under anyways, but I agree with you that I think there may be a lacking of points here to, here to start off. And it's, it's also worth
1: mentioning, look, Iowa had three losses this year by a combined 13 points. All against top 15 teams, Wisconsin, Penn State, Michigan. Two of USC's losses came by three points, at Notre Dame and at BYU. All right, so let's move on to our third bowl on Friday night. And speaking of air raid and leech and time off, I can throw. We have Air Force, Washington State. This game starts at 10:15 Eastern on ESPN, which means all eyes will be on this game. Uh, air Force is sitting at a two-and-a-half point favorite over under 68 and a half. Um, I will, you know, this is in Phoenix, by the way, there's no weather to worry about. Let me just throw out some of the Leach numbers that you mentioned with the air rate. Um, you know, Leach is 82, 73 and two overall against the spread in his career. That's about 53%. You know, nothing crazy, but okay. Uh, more than eight days in between games, eight and 16 against the spread, failing to cover by almost five points per game, eight or fewer days. Between games? Sixty-eight, fifty-two, and two. That's fifty-six point seven percent against the spread, covering by an average of about two and a half points per game. So you can see the dichotomy there between those two situations. It meant, you know, gets back to the rust factor with the air rate and you know, it gets out of rhythm. You know, it's one of the reasons why he's only two and seven against the spread in bowls, failing to cover by over a touchdown per game on average. And one of those two wins was against Iowa State last year. And game they had no business winning, no business covering. The refs were horrendous and basically handed them that game. It wasn't high scoring. Their offense didn't look great for what it's worth. You know, so it's the most interesting thing about this game, and I'll let you get into it before I add some context, is probably one of the most interesting matchups because it's the team that runs the ball at the second highest frequency of any team in the country, and that's Air Force. They run at 85.25% of the time. That's just behind Navy. And then Washington State, they they run it with less frequency than any other team in the country. They pass on 78.85% of their plays. That's by far the highest, 70, over 78%. The next highest is Purdue at like 63, 64%. So this is a complete contrast in styles. And the interesting thing is, well, all Washington State does is pass it. Air Force struggles to defend the pass. All Air Force does is run it. Washington State really struggles to defend the run. And I know you're probably going to get into things like the Washington state stuff rate and line yards. I mean, they are (laughs) horrendous. So what what do you see here?
2: You couldn't find two polar opposites in offensive scheme and you couldn't find two defenses that may be the least prepared to tackle these offenses. Uh, It's some, it's, it's fascinating from an X's and O's and from a numbers perspective Uh, you know, Washington state, they can't defend the triple option. Air force can't defend the pass. So, you know, we'll start with Washington State. Defensively, they're 125th in line yards, 127th in stuff, rate. That's not good against a triple option. Uh, And they've had a much much easier strength of schedule. Uh, You know, so Air Force is going to be able to move the ball. But take in mind, Air Force, 126th in pace, seconds per play. Air Force is slow. Uh, Air Force, defensively, 83rd in defensive passing success rate. They're only 103rd in havoc. They're 92nd in passes defensed. They don't knock passes down. They don't get in the backfield. They don't cause a lot of disruption to a team's offense. Wazoo is going to be able to throw the ball all day. The total is really uh, – the, the number I took on the action app and, and that I bought, I took Wazoo as a dog, and it's still a dog. I think it's going to come down, though, uh, if, you, if you guys have sports insights and you set some line watcher, great tool for, for any gambler out there. Uh, it looks like the number is going to come down. And so if you like Washington State, it would be time to probably grab that as we get closer to kick. But my action network power rating made it minus 4.5 on the side of Wazoo. Uh, so when I initially saw them as a dog, I thought, well, I've got to take them. And I just think that there's the narrative out there against leech and the air raid, which is has legs. I don't, I don't think there's any, any reason to dismiss that, but to have a, a swing in six points for my power rating is a bit much. Then I got on the total and I think everybody in the world, and I'm looking at the ticket count and how much money's on the over. I don't think there's a single under ticket out there. I don't think anybody believes that this thing is going to go under. It started at 67. It's up to 69. Not sure where it's going to stop. I think people like me are waiting for a 70. I've already taken a first half under. But, you know, the pace is slower than what you would think. These teams are first and second in field goal efficiency, uh, so there is going to be points scored even when they get past the 40. Uh, You know, if they get in range of points, you know, there's going to be points on the board. But how many times are they going to settle for a field goal if they can't punch it in? You know, both teams are top 20 in finishing drives, but with the pace being so slow in the game, how often are they going to get into – to to scoring position inside the red zone. And I think that's what's got me on the under, especially a first half under. I like the first half under more because it plays into the, I hate to say narrative because it's actually true, but air raid offenses have a hard time, uh, you know, getting in sync the first couple drives. So I like the first half under more than anything. Once, if Washington State starts to click on offense against an Air Force defense that can't defend the pass, then there's going to be plenty of points on both sides of the ball. I'll roll with first half under, especially at 34 and a half or 34.
1: Yeah, I actually I lean to the over here, and I think I'm gonna play it. Like you said, polar opposites. Washington State's is seventh in passing success rate, and then Air Force is like ninetieth in in passing success rate defense. Air Force is seventh in rushing success rate, just like Washington State is seventh in passing success rate, and both defenses are like ninetieth uh, in defending them. Also, like you mentioned, Washington State's not explosive on offense, but they don't turn it over, and Air Force creates no havoc whatsoever. So, like they're just gonna be able to methodically move it down the field with their short passes. They both can finish drives. And then Air Force, like you said, there's going to be no negative plays when Air Force has the ball. There's Washington State doesn't get in the backfield. They're going to get pushed around. And Air Force can just methodically move it up into the field. And then when they want, they want to take a, a shot, they're going to hit it. They're first at a pass explosiveness. Against Washington State, it was like 111th in pass-exposed in this defense. And then on top of that, you have these two teams that are great at finishing drives, and also this is an underrated factor. You're going to have, I think, both coaches. It's a bowl, and they're both kind of like this anyway. If it's fourth and two at the 45, they're going for it. Mm-hmm. So either they don't get it, the other team takes over at the 45, or they continue their drive. You're not going to have the nightmare here where they're punting at the 50 on fourth and one, and then the other team starts at the five. So that'll, I think, help a little bit with the, you know, the lack of explosiveness and the pace concerns is that I don't think you're going to have as many drives that are, you know, you have to go 90 yards after a punt as you normally would in a game because of who these two coaches are, because of who Air Force is, because Air Force knows they can just run it. And it's a ball at the end of the day. So you're going to be a little more risky. And then, you know, another thing that I wanted to mention is that, you know, and if you want to back Air Force, I'm, I'd wait. It looks like the line's coming down. And also, these two, like, these two teams might go for two at the end. So bet the money line or money line parlay it instead of laying one or two. But I do need to mention this, and I saw this being floated around by other people, but I was the, the source of it. Since, <laughs> 19, since 1980, service academies are 74% against the spread. Since 1980. Army seven and one, Navy twelve and five, Air Force fifteen and 74 percent. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means that a lot of bowls come down to motivation, right? So a lot of bowls, and it's some most of them are hard to cap. How are you going to know if this team's going to show up or not? Sometimes we can take an educated guess where we think we have an edge, but a lot of times it's like I, I don't know. We don't know that it looked like uh, SMU never got off the bus, but you could, the one constant that I am very confident in saying is that a service academy team will always, always show up no matter where they're playing. We say this every week. There's no flat spots. Um, So they're always going to show up. There's never going to be a lack of motivation. They're always going to be as motivated as they are every week. Uh, So backing service academies has been extremely profitable in the past.
2: And I'm going to try to get out of the Washington State number that I have. I think it's a great game to play both sides, to get a field goal on both sides. Great live game too. Yeah, great live game. Yeah, you can trade this game back and forth. Uh, And if one team goes up 14,
1: who cares? Like, Mm -hmm. the other team should be able to come back. All right, so that'll wrap up Friday's bowls. Let's move on to Saturday. We'll cover the two early games, then we'll get into the college football playoff. There's two games at noon. Uh, We'll start with, let's go with Memphis-Penn State. Uh, Penn State is laying seven here. It's on ESPN Mm -hmm. at noon. In Arlington, uh, over under 60 and a half. Uh, something to note here in regards to Memphis. Their right tackle, Dill, senior right tackle, is out. Uh, Their tight end, who's second team all AAC, Joey. I always want to call him Magnifico. I always say his name wrong. But he's out for this game too. Look, I actually have – I've been higher on Memphis than I think a lot of people all year, so I actually think there's a little bit of value in the number. But with both of those guys out, there's, there's a lot of unknowns in this game, right? Because of all the, there's the coaching carousels, I'll let you speak to that, uh, on each team are, are spinning. And, and there's news on Penn State with a new offensive coordinator from Minnesota today. But when I look at this game, I like this Memphis team for a variety of reasons. But when I look at this Penn State team, the narrative all year, and uh, it's come to fruition more times than not, is these Penn State fast starts. Extremely, extremely fast starts. And we – Yeah, which which gives me some pauses, there's coaching changes, but we have our hypothesis is that they're, you know, Sean Clifford is great in the scripted portion of the game, and then they die off. I mean, Penn State's averaging 8.8 points per first quarter. That's 15th in the nation. Uh, You know what they are in the second quarter? 6.8. That's 89th. So you can see the drop-off right there. You know, Memphis is 6th in the nation in second quarter points at 13.4, and 13th in the third quarter you know, in the fourth quarter, Memphis 31st. Whereas Penn State 89th in the second quarter, 30th in the third quarter, 73rd in the fourth quarter. And the Penn State defense in the first quarter, really good. Memphis defense in the first quarter, not that good. So everything here points to, once again, Penn State probably jumping out to a lead or giving me a chance to get in on Memphis at a better number than I would at seven, targeting 10 or more. So it's a game I don't think I want to get involved in Pre game especially with all the you know all these coaching the coaching turnover as well, but if it's, this game goes according to how many of penn state 's games went this year, I think i 'll have an opportunity at some point in the first quarter to jump in on Memphis if you know they 're down ten thirteen fourteen, maybe even seven, nothing
2: yeah, and I think the hardest thing to handicap is those scripted plays that you and I have been handicapping all year with Sean Clifford and Ricky Rain, the offensive coordinator who is no longer with Penn state as he took the, the coaching gig down at old dominion. I, I can't find any information at all, whether on KJ Hamler's playing, whether uh, how healthy he is, which I think he should be fine after having some injuries in November. But you know, the, the NFL draft thing kind of looms over that we haven't heard a decision on what he's going to do. You would think there would be an announcement by now, but assuming Sean Clifford and KJ Hamler are healthy, are these plays going to be scripted up and, and by who? And, and, and I think the same thing goes over on the Memphis side too. I mean, Ryan Silverfield is the new head coach. He was the run game coordinator. Mike Nor- Norvell had the entire play calling at his disposal. He made all the play calls. He was, everything ran through him. Not one play went on with Memphis that didn't go through Mike Norvell. Uh, he had full control. And now that he's gone, there's nobody on the offensive side of the ball for Memphis uh, that that has experience in at least calling plays. So you got to think defensive coordinator uh, for Penn State, Brent Pry, who's one of the best in the nation. Uh, he's going to be able to make adjustments at halftime, and Penn State's going to be able to get this game, win this game. Now, can they cover the game? I'm not sure. And will Memphis have a lead, or, or will they at least be playing even through halftime? That I don't know either because there's just so many questions here like – I mean, I hate to, like I said this before in another pod, I hate to punt and just say, well, play this live. But truly, we don't know what's going on with the offensive play calling on both sides of the ball. It's a complete mystery to the Penn State's defense. Penn State's defense has been susceptible to long passes. Look at Minnesota beat them. Uh, and Memphis is capable of, of, of having explosive passing. They're fifth in the nation in passing explosiveness. Top 20 in passing success rate. So, uh, you know, there's a lot going on here with, with missing pieces in the coaching staff. Uh, Will the plays be scripted for Penn State? Uh, Penn State's defense is susceptible to explosive plays uh, through the air. Uh, So this is a really hard one to handicap. Uh, I know that we mentioned that Penn State starts off hot and Memphis starts off cold in the first quarter, but I kind of feel like the unknown helps Memphis in the first half. I mean, I would say a Memphis plus four in the first half, you know, may be good, uh, especially if Penn State doesn't have those offensive plays scripted like they have in the past. Uh, Ultimately, I think Penn State is going to win the game. Uh, after adjustments are made at halftime. But uh, there's a lot of unknowns in this game.
1: Yeah, no, I would agree. And keep your, keep your eye on um, Riley Patterson, the kicker for Memphis, a weapon that they have. He hit 250-plus yarders in the second half against Cincinnati um, in their last game, I think, of the AC championship game. So that's something to keep your eye on, too. But, yeah, I agree. I think that this is – there's a lot of unknowns. I also am worried about the right side of that Memphis offensive line against that, that Penn State front seven. The left side should be solid, but there's some questions on the right side, especially with Dill Al and are they going to be able to run the ball against this Penn State really good run defense? So, yeah, I think probably the best non, you know, I expect this to be back and forth every possession live game on
2: the board. If Memphis can rush the ball against this Penn State front seven, they're going to offensively score as many points as they want. They have to be successful on the ground to be able to throw it downfield.
1: Completely agree. Yeah, that sets up everything. And if they can't run it, their offense is going to go a mush. All right, so let's talk about the other game at noon with Notre Dame and Iowa State. Notre Dame is a three-and-a-half-point favorite over under 54. This game is in uh, Orlando at Camping World Stadium. It looks like maybe a little bit of wind, but I don't think anything to note. Um, you know, one thing that I'll, I'll say here is whenever I see Matt Campbell as a dog, it <laughs> – Catches my interest. He's 29-15 and 15 against the spread as a dog. That's the sixth most, most profitable coach in our database since 2005. That's among 527 coaches. Brian Kelly, although, has been great on the road or in neutral, neutral fields. He's 52-35-3. and three. That's about right about 60%, 16% ROI. You know, when I look at this game, one of the first things that jumps out to me is, does the time off hurt Notre Dame? Because if you look, if this game was played December 6th, you know, about a month ago, Notre Dame was rolling, right? You know, they trucked BC, they trucked Navy, they trucked Duke. Stanford. They trucked Stanford, which Stanford should have covered, but that's another
0: story. <laughs>
1: um, so they were just rolling teams, playing very well, whereas Iowa State, and look, Iowa State record is they're 7-5, kind of misleading. Now, I think they went 1-5 against the spread against bowl teams this year. But, you know, they lost by one to Iowa, could have won that game. They lost by two to Baylor, could have won that game. And a lot of their losses, they could have won play here or there. This team's in the Big 12 championship. But they didn't end the season well. Starting with that Oklahoma game, they did lose by one, but they were down 21 for most of the game. The Texas game, at home, Texas, if they just know how to kick field, like Texas probably should have won that game. Then they have a horrible performance at home against Kansas, and they give up 31 points. Then they lose, you know, as four-and-a-half-point favorites at Kansas State, 27-17. So these two teams were just headed in different directions to end the year. Do I take anything from that, or do I say maybe the time off helped Iowa State, and it kind of killed some of the Notre Dame momentum that they had going? Uh, I don't know. I think that you like the under here, which is also interesting to me. What do you say?
2: Yeah, I like the under for a lot of things that you, that you talked about. I mean, Notre Dame, first off, let's start with the Iowa State side. No matter if they struggle to stay in sync with Brock Purdy uh, in the passing game, Notre Dame's secondary is excellent. Uh, they are one of the best in the nation at stopping passing uh, success rate and explosiveness. They're, they're top 20 in, in defensive passing success rate. Uh, they're 12th in stopping uh, explosive pass, and that's going to be a problem for Brock Purdy. Iowa State has no run game whatsoever. Uh, without David Montgomery, they've been just you know terrible running the ball this year, 109th in rush explosiveness, 80th in rushing success rate. It's just going to be Iowa State's good, which is the pass with Brock Purdy, versus Notre Dame's good on defense, which is the secondary. And for me, that I don't think that's going to create a whole bunch of points, uh, especially considering Iowa State's offense is 52nd finishing drives. Nothing special there, uh, you know. It, and you look at Notre Dame. I don't really know if they want to be here. So Brian Kelly fires Chip Long coming right off of a 10-2 and season. He fires his offensive coordinator, who was a, 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 a nominee for the Broyles Award last year in, in their college football playoff run. Kelly didn't really have much comment about this game. He, he was just, you know, I'm going to do what's best for Notre Dame. We didn't get it done. We need to get it done. I think he's specifically talking about Georgia. But fires his offensive coordinator, and he's going to split play calling, scheme, everything between the running backs and the quarterback coach, uh, which a lot of people around the Notre Dame program think quarterback coach Tommy Rees, this is his chance to win the job as offensive coordinator. So we'll see what Notre Dame's got on the offensive side, but Brian Kelly has made it very clear. I have nothing to do with the offensive side of the ball in this game. I will not call the plays. I will pop in and advise, but you know, in the planning, but I will not be calling the plays and I will not be in control of what happens around Notre Dame on the offense. So that's another reason why I kind of like the under on this game. And I know that the narrative around Notre Dame is that those teams we mentioned Stanford, BC, Navy, Duke, combined margin 107 points, they blew them out. So, Notre Dame was the hot team. But you don't understand is Brian Kelly was trying to get Notre Dame up in the top 12 so that he could make the Cotton Bowl and get the at-large bit. Their goal was to make a New Year's Six game. Their goal was not to be in this bowl whatsoever. A trip to Orlando a year after making the college football playoff, this is, this is not what they wanted whatsoever. And Brian Kelly has a history of stinking up bowls. Notre Dame didn't cover Rutgers in 2013, Cincinnati didn't cover Southern Miss in 2007. Only two college football programs Brian Kelly has covered in the bowl season in his entire career. That's LSU in Miami. Everybody else, he is not covered against the spread in any bowl game ever. He gets up for the big games. He's an excellent coach when it when it means something and it matters. You know, I don't want to get too far into how I don't think he wanted Ian Book as the quarterback. Uh, the Notre Dame that they have a five star, you know, quarterback behind Ian Book that I think Brian Kelly has wanted to be the quarterback for quite a long time, so there's I think there's a lot of things where Brian Kelly is just ready to turn the page and get to 2020. Uh, we mentioned Iowa State's had a lot of close losses, but you know Irish defense is, you know like we said, they're they're the tops in the nation and stopping the pass. So I just don't see a lot of points from Notre Dame, and I don't see Iowa State able to overcome Notre Dame's secondary. So even though I projected at 59, you know just a small investment on the under 54 and a half, I think the side is correct. Uh, I've got it Notre Dame minus four. So there's not really anything there for me either, but I would take Iowa State if I had to. We will obviously have great previews for every single bowl uh, that Colin and I and
1: our colleague, Colin, are working on tirelessly. So uh, check out. And, you know, sometimes when we're doing this pod and then there's a a preview that goes up six days later, there's some updates and things that we might have played a little differently. So make sure you check them out on the Action app and actionnetwork.com. All right, it's time to cover the college football playoff semifinals there's no question about that. It. It's gonna be on. <laughs> Sorry to me. I mean, it's every every ball is worth the same. So, but if you've been waiting for the college ball playoff breakdowns, that time has arrived. Uh, we're gonna obviously start in chronological order. Uh, so that means we are starting four Eastern in the game between Oklahoma and LSU. LSU thirteen and zero. Oklahoma twelve and one on the year. This game is four Eastern on ESPN. Mercedes- Benz Stadium in Atlanta this line sitting at 13 and a half 14-ish uh, LSU obviously the favorite over under 76 um, you know I said before these bowls came out my line here was LSU minus 10 over under 69 given where this game is and maybe some of the game scripts that I'm anticipating I don't know if I necessarily want to bet the under in this game even though I think there's a little bit of value my whole point here is that I made it 10. I think LSU's going to win, but if it got to 14, I'm investing just in the value of the number on Oklahoma, which it did, and I played a little bit on the Sooners. I also think it'll be a great game to bet live. Um, but before we get into any of that, we need your thoughts. We also need updates on Herrera. We need updates on the Oklahoma suspensions and all that, because there's been a lot of news swirling in this game compared to the others, so uh, take it from here.
2: I think we should start with the point spread. I mean, it opened up somewhere around your projection. And, you know, I made it minus eight for – for LSU, but it's been nothing but LSU money uh, out of the gate, LSU dominating Georgia and OU going to overtime with Baylor in the big 12 championship. There's been nothing but LSU money come in. You know, there were some uh, suspensions related to uh, failing a drug test uh, offensively. That's running back Ramondre Stevenson uh, and, and wide receiver on bridges. Uh, Stevenson is the big one. Cause I mean, they're already thin at running back as Stevenson was an explosive back averaging eight yards a carry and he had six TDs on the season defensively they lost their top guy in sacks and Ronnie Perkins Uh, he was seventh in total tackles on the team but he was the havoc guy Uh, Oklahoma's 10th in defensive havoc in the nation but most of that number is fueled by tackles for loss and Ronnie Perkins was second on the team with 13 and a half tackles for loss so the loss of Perkins is huge I mean a lot of people point to the sacks it's not even really the sacks Ronnie Perkins was behind the line of scrimmage all the time consistently so that's not there for Oklahoma anymore, and that defensive number of 10th uh, of and Havoc, that's not going to be the Oklahoma defense that's on the field against LSU. I think the question really remains, though, is can Joe Burrow be stopped? Because no matter what we say about tackles for loss and OU getting into the backfield, Joe Burrow has been excellent. The Heisman Trophy winner at manipulating defenses and getting rid of the ball and doing what he's got to do to get this offense down the field. So, you know, OU Speed D under Alex Grinch, were they really going to put the pressure on and come after Joe Burrow? Or are they going to sit back, keep some guys back? Um, you know, how are they going to deal with a healthy amount of explosive plays that are going to the, come their way? Uh, I think there's two huge keys to this game, and you mentioned injury. There's two monster keys to this game, and it's all you need to know for the total, and it's all you need to know for the side. Clyde edwards Hilar's mobility, and Jalen Hurts' ball protection. So as far as Clyde Edwards-Hallar, his status is just all over the place. I mean, I'm, I'm reading tweets this morning as we're about to go on and, and record this. Uh, yeah, you know, I've searched
1: he, his name so many times this week on Twitter. Yeah,
2: correct me if you've seen anything different, but it's like not cleared to practice, just got off crutches, Uh o, there's a chance, Insmaker, Clyde will be there. What does will be there mean? I have no clue. Uh, you know, not available to the media. Uh, there's just uh, kind of a circus on his status. And I just don't think people that are betting LSU blindly don't realize that edwards Hilar Caught 50 balls from Burrow in the backfield. I mean, he is the safety blanket. He is the third down guy. He is 1,200 yards rushing. I mean, the LSU offense, as much as we have a Heisman with Joe Burrow, if he's not there for running back, the backup is is Tyrion Davis-Price. He just has 10 catches out of the backfield, only 270 yards rushing. That's a big drop-off in production at running back, and that's going to affect them on third down. I'm not sure if that, you know, says more about the under than it does about the side. But as far as, you know, LSU goes, that's it. I mean, that's the reason why I am willing to wait as long as possible to see. I mean, I've already got one bet in, one unit bet in on Oklahoma at 14 because just Number alone, it should not be that high. I don't care about suspensions, but I am willing to wait before I invest more to see if Clyde Edwards-Hara is on the field, practicing, is he mobile? I want more information. As far as the second part that I mentioned, Jalen Hurts ball protection. I think of everything that I hear, every other media besides you and me, no one's covering the biggest handicap, which is Jalen Hurts' ball protection. If he has a clean box score, he is one of the most efficient and most success, the best success rate offenses in the nation with OU. Uh, if he has a clean box score, he's going to be able to put up points. LSU's 13th in Havoc. So let's look at that 13th in Havoc. What does that actually mean for LSU? That no, that, that number comes from being the best in the nation at pass breakups and passes defensed. One key element of Havoc that I did not mention there is forced fumbles. So LSU, excellent at pass breakups, excellent at passes defense. Top 10 in interceptions. LSU has only forced five fumbles this season. That's it. They're 118th in the nation in forcing fumbles. Five fumbles. You know who that, you know who their neighbors with in that department? Rice and UTEP.
1: We're talking Minor Nation.
2: Out in the West Texas town of El Paso.
1: Picks up.
2: Yeah, minor nation. If Jalen Hurts' biggest problem is that he can't hold on to the ball, he's taking on a defense that doesn't strip it five times the entire season for a team that's in the playoff. So a bet on Oklahoma to cover and taking the 14 comes down to two things. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire not playing or his mobility is, is, is just not there, and he's not you know 100% for this game, and a clean Jalen Hurts' box score. You get those two things, OU's going to cover this game, and I have a chance to compete. Yeah, I mean, The other thing is why I make this total sixty nine. But if
1: you have some injuries at backs, you don't have Perkins. If any of these teams get up big, there's going to be just their other teams going to go fast, and you're just going to have more points. So I think the but with all and especially if Hilaire's out, like you might get more passing than normal with all with all of these injuries, than, than if you look at with how much these teams pass. I just keep going back to this. Like that Oklahoma-LSU game, it'll be a perfect live betting game if LSU goes up 14, 17, 20. Right. Um, there's no reason why Oklahoma you know, can't put, put a touchdown on the board. You could buy some back. The, the, the key thing to watch for me is how big of a game does Lamb have against the LSU defense? And how much does a healthier Delpit mean, right? So the LSU defense yeah. overall The 122nd defending pass explosiveness. But that number, their defense looked a lot better on the back end with a healthier Delpit towards the end of the year. But you could see Lamb have just a, a monster day here. Um, that's the matchup I'm looking forward to watching.
2: Yeah, and I think I actually think Jalen Hurts is going to have a 25-30 to 30 carry day too. If CeeDee Lamb can't get open, you're going to see Hurts running with the ball quite a lot. So it, it's going to be an interesting game.
1: Oklahoma more so than LSU – at least initially, we'll have to call this aggressively. Instead of punting, you know, on a situation where you might normally punt, you got to go. you got to keep up. There's two reliable field goal kickers here, but, you, hey, instead of a field goal, we got to go for it. Um, so that could impact the total as well. LSU doesn't punt it well, and, but I don't think that matters one bit. I was looking at their punting numbers. And I'm like, why am I looking at LSU's punting numbers? Um, <laughs> How many punts do they have this year, five? Yeah. All right, so make sure you check out the preview we have on that game because we'll have
2: that covered from every angle. And you know there was an opportunity to take tickets to go to our next game here, Clemson, Ohio State. But the problem with attending these games live is if I go to Clemson, Ohio State, that puts me at the mercy of not watching OU, uh, LSU, and that's just not going to happen, right? Yeah, my
1: girl got surprised with tickets to go to Naples early for New Year's, and on Saturday night, and I said, "Sorry, babe, uh, you're flying by yourself." I'll get tickets on my own and <laughs> get you for the tickets you got me because uh, i also can't fly on sunday so i'll be flying out for a couple days uh on monday um <laughs> sorry babe love you though uh let's move on to clemson ohio state this is the mm-hmm. blockbuster this feels like a national championship game uh 8 p.m eastern on saturday night uh espn in glendale at university of phoenix stadium and this line's sitting right just hanging out right around Clemson minus two over under 63. Uh, When I tweeted out my numbers, I made this Clemson minus one-ish over under 59-ish. I know you made the total higher. I'm thinking about playing the under. I don't know if I want to do it with these two teams, but I think that both are going to have to run the ball. Because if you look at any of Clemson's numbers, besides special teams, so Ohio State has a huge advantage in special teams, especially when they punt it. But, you know, how much are they going to punt? I don't know. But better field goal kicker, just overall, better special teams. But when, let's focus more on the offensive-defensive side of the ball. If you look at Clemson up and down, you know, their advanced metrics, their regular metrics, relative opponent, like everything, it's elite everywhere, right? You can't really find any weaknesses. But you have to determine how elite are they because of their schedule, right? They had the 66 toughest schedule. Ohio State's was – first, first. First in the nation how good is Clemson? Now you have to base a lot of it on priors and we know that they were really good last year. So I think that they are really good, but if they have some weakness, you know, it might not have been exposed with this schedule, but I think that they're just solid across the board. Ohio state. Meanwhile, you know, they have two, they had a weakness last year in defending explosiveness that showed up again this year, particularly defending rush explosiveness. But, you know, and they were 101st in the country in, in that and Clemson certainly could take advantage. And, and, Pass explosiveness, they were a lot better this year, 17th, but look at the schedule. What what explosive passing offenses did they play? Not many, right? And you saw little signs of Michigan when they played Michigan. You know, you saw Michigan move the ball, find some open receivers downfield. So maybe there's still some issues in defending pass explosiveness. And then the other weakness on Ohio State is their offensive line slash fields holding the ball too long. That's why they're a 100th in sack rate. So just like Clemson, Ohio State's elite across the board, except those two areas where they're about a hundredth in the nation. Right? If you make look at these charts that we put out, the column makes it's all green, all green on both sides, except for those two. And look, Clemson's number three and sack rate. So, and I said it all year: these are the two areas you have to watch. Not necessarily for Ohio State during the regular season, but it, once they get to the postseason, is there a team that can expose these two weaknesses? Um, And that's where you have to look at. So it's really determining, okay, is Clemson as elite as their numbers and as elite as they were last year based on a really easy schedule? If you believe that, then Ohio State, they have two potential weaknesses that Clemson can exploit. Wild card, special teams in Ohio State.
2: Um, That's kind of the high-level cap from my perspective. What do you see here? Justin Fields had his media day on Christmas Eve, and he said – I mean, he looked disappointed. And upset. And he said, I'm 80 to 85% with the knee. He said, I'm not, you know, my mobility isn't there. Like, what I want it to be inside the pocket. I think that he's not where he wants to be with the knee and he's not going to be, you know, the total mobility that he needs inside the pocket to get out and extend plays. Uh, He may have to rely more on his arm, which is not a bad thing. He has a cannon for an arm and he's accurate. Uh, Justin Fields is going to have two different size braces, one that he wore in previous two games, uh, one bigger than the other. Uh, just going to see what his pain level is, what his tolerance is. Um, you know, the play action pass is what burned the Clemson secondary against North Carolina. The ability to hook in the secondary and then throw over the top is what, I mean, if you look at all the highlight film from the North Carolina game, that's what killed Clemson. So you can expect the Buckeyes to keep their offensive identity where they're top 20 in rush rate. Uh, they run the ball a lot. So you're going to see a lot of J.K. Dobbins' handoffs. Um, and they're going to have timely play action because that play action pass ran by North Carolina and Sam Howell is what got Clemson in trouble. Now, is Clemson going to bite? Uh, you know, Isaiah Simmons, a linebacker for Clemson, who's one of the best in the nation, who Arkansas should have had, but we told him, we told him, no, we don't want to give you a scholarship. Uh, is going to have the ability to fill the gap on the line when J.K. Dobbins is running and the ability to drop back into pass coverage when Dobbins is in pass blocking mode. Venable's ability to throw different looks and number of down linemen, number of blitzes, that's going to what's... He's going to try to confuse Justin Fields in passing situations. It's quite interesting to see what Ohio State is once they have a negative play. Like their efficiency falls off the table once they have a negative play. Will J.K. Dobbins get enough yards to stay in standard downs instead of falling into passing downs. What about the Havoc? Will Clemson be able to get to Justin Fields? The mobility of Fields really makes everything questionable for me because either it's going to be a handoff or it's going to be a play-action pass, and it just seems like there's not going to be a lot of other – I mean, the playbook may be cut in half because Fields isn't able to get outside the pocket. You know, he's going to hold on to the ball. He's not going to be able to check his progressions. Uh, I think he's going to get plenty of pressure – Plenty of hurries. I think he's going to get sacked multiple times. I think Clemson's defense is going to have a ton of success. So if you're taking the under there, uh, Clemson, you know, and Isaiah, Isaiah Simmons really is going to be a big part of that. On the flip side of the ball, I mean, Stuck mentioned it. What is Clemson going to do? Let's start off with Chase Young. What is Clemson going to do with Chase Young? It's quite interesting that Jackson Carmine is the offensive tackle that spurned Urban Meyer in Ohio State in recruiting, like on the yep. very last day inside of the Clemson. Now he is the guy that's responsible for taking care of Chase Young. But if you look at Chase Young the last two games against Michigan and Wisconsin, no sacks. Two hurries, I think. I mean, he was a non-factor in their final two games. Michigan and Wisconsin started using double teams. They were using chip blocks from tight ends and guards who were trying to get down fields to other targets. Uh, And I think that really they set the template for what Clemson's going to have to do to keep Chase Young. They're going to move Chase Young around, of course. But, you know, Clemson has the number one offensive line according to Sports Source Analytics. They're number one in efficiency. They only allow one sack per game. Uh, And when those sacks come, they come from the outside. So that really led me to think that Trevor Lawrence is going to have a monster rushing day. I mean, he has 407 yards on the season, uh, you know, multiple touchdowns. And whether it's running the RPO or stepping up in the pocket to get away from outside edge pressure, I think Trevor Lawrence is going to have a huge day running the ball. I think Travis Etienne is going to have a monster day running the ball. Listen to this stat. Ohio State missed tackles their first 10 games only 6% of the time. First 10 games. Their last three games? Against Penn State, Michigan, Wisconsin, Ohio State fell from 6% missed tackles to over 20% missed tackles. Travis Etienne is the number one back in the nation at yards after contact. He was just 30 yards shy of 1,000. Travis Etienne is going to have a huge day if Ohio State does not remedy this missed tackle problem that they've had the last three games. I think Trevor Lawrence is going to have a huge day on the ground. I think Travis Etienne is going to have a huge day on the ground, and... You know, I respect Ohio State's secondary. They're huge. They're athletic. They're long. They can match up with Justin Ross. They can match up with T. Higgins. So unless Trevor Lawrence is is getting down to his third, fourth, you know, (laughs) fifth options on on passing plays or he's taking off running – I think it's a really good matchup to see how good Justin Ross and, and T Higgins can go. But I'm taking Clemson in this game. I don't think it's going to be a blowout like 2016. Uh, it really comes down to the mobility of the quarterbacks. Justin Fields is just not there. He's not going to be able to make plays happen outside the pocket. Uh, I think his, his play-action passing is going to be well scouted. And on the other side, Trevor Lawrence is going to be able to take off whenever he wants, step up in the pocket, take off. The kid has NFL mechanics. He has NFL elusiveness, pocket awareness. I think that's all going to be on display against an excellent Ohio State front seven. In the end, I'm taking Clemson. As, I, as we talk, one of the sharpest books out there drops the number to one and a half. <laughs> and
1: this is what I was hinting at earlier, potential game scripts, is I agree with a lot of what you said. So I actually think that you're going to see these teams run it more than they have you know, in comp- when the games are competitive early on. And I actually think that both teams might be able to find a little bit of success on the ground and Clemson, I think, is just going to – look, field's holding onto the ball on that offensive line, giving up a little bit of pressure, but a lot of it's field's holding onto the ball. That has been an issue that just – they haven't played a team that's going to exploit it. And all that, I think, what we'll do is Clemson will get to him a couple times. It'll kill a couple drives um, that Ohio State hasn't had killed against Big Ten competition this year. That'll kill a couple drives. Ohio State will the punt it. Guess what? Great punter who can bomb it, flip a field. So all these things have me saying, okay – maybe I do want to play – you know, I, I respect both quarterbacks, both offenses, but I think both teams are going to run it a little more. And I think that the Clemson defense can have some success here in getting to the quarterback, especially on passing downs. So that's what has been leading to an under, Not, and I actually make it the number lower than what it is. But you you make the, the total a little higher, right?
2: Yeah, I do. And uh, I'm looking at it now, I make it 70. Uh, but, I mean, this – I can't say that Clemson has looked at a secondary this, this – Long and large, or this fast. And I can't say that Ohio State has uh, seen a defense like this before. Your projections on totals are based upon yards per play, rush rate, passing rate, you know, and and that's it's just a mathematical projection. Pace. Yeah, pace of play. And, uh, but you don't, it doesn't take into account that. You know, Iowa State secondary will be the biggest and fastest one that Clemson has taken on all season. I mean, Trevor Lawrence is going to have to have highlight real NFL draft highlight real day to get it downfield on these guys.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, we'll have to. I'll have
2: to look at your your numbers because we have, we're off by ten points there. It's a lot. Um, <laughs> all right. Um, but, you know, I, I'm biased against Clemson though. It's like a three four year running thing. So
1: yeah, that's true. And then any thoughts on potential live betting this game?
2: I think there's going to be a time to hit a live under. I think it's going to get above 63. I think it will get up to 70 at some point. I mean, a flurry of points. I think the game is going to come in a flurry of points. The missed tackles thing for Ohio State makes me think that Travis Etienne is going to be able to break one off. We know he's capable of doing that. I think the flow of the game is not going to be points, points, points from – I think OU-LSU could be just points from start to finish. Clemson, Ohio State, I think it's going to come in bunches. These are the best – Coaches, assistants, coordinators, and call of college football. They will make adjustments drive to drive, not half to half, not quarter to quarter. They will make adjustments drive to drive. I think points will come, points will stop. So live bet accordingly.
1: So let's move on. Before we get out of here, um, let's go three and out.
2: One, two, three. Let's
1: make it a quick three and out. For first down, let's talk Monday football. We have some Monday day football starting at 12.30 Eastern between Western Kentucky and Western Michigan. This is in Dallas, 12.30 on ESPN, Western Kentucky – is laying three and a half here over under 54 and a half. What do you see here?
2: Yeah, Tyson Heldon, uh, Conference USA Coach of the Year, uh, did a great job at Western Kentucky. Uh, and Western Michigan has a lot of motivation, or at least Lester, their head coach, says they do, because they didn't make the MAC championship game. They have a senior class that has lost three bowl games. So there should be motivation on both sides. I don't think that's going to play a factor. Uh, Western Kentucky's outside the top 100 in explosiveness and finishing drives. There's just not a lot, a lot of points coming out of the Hilltoppers, they're mostly a defensive team. They're eighth in defensive passing success rate, and that's going to lock down quarterback John Wasink uh, in Western Michigan's offense. So, you know, with, with Western Kentucky being top 20 uh, defensively and finishing drives and considering the fact that they're extremely slow paced, they're 99th in seconds per play. Western Michigan is 68th in seconds per play. Uh, and if you and if you go and look at Western Michigan, you know, they're 91st in red zone scoring percentage. I just don't see a lot of points here whatsoever. Both teams are absolutely terrible at field goal efficiency. Western Kentucky's 110, Western Michigan 129. These teams can't kick field goals whatsoever. They can't finish once they cross the 40-yard line the pace of play is going to be really slow i like the under here
1: yeah western michigan special teams are horrendous uh, it's just a <laughs> max special it's just a max special teams i mean it's maybe a bottom five special teams in the nation uh i lean western kentucky here if i can get the three yeah. which is what i'm waiting for uh, if it doesn't get the three i might look to bet this live or pass on it um, all right let's move on monday afternoon we have two games to kick at four eastern Mississippi State, minus four and a half against Louisville over under 63 and a half. Uh, this is in Nashville. And what do you see here with Mississippi State, Louisville? Key injury or key sitting out uh, offensive line of on, on Louisville. And what I first look at is can't Mississippi State just hand it off and score at will against this Louisville defense?
2: Yeah, I love Mississippi State in this game. Was, this matchup for me rings Mississippi State all day. And I think what people don't realize is that Joe Moorhead's been dealing with the fact that he had to replace half his staff at the beginning of the season because they all left, and the fact that he had multiple players, a large number of players on the roster had an eight-game suspension, and he's had to cascade that over the entire schedule. He's almost never had an entire full roster of uh, uh, the team available. You know, they do lose cornerback Cameron Dantzler. He's declared for the NFL draft. Uh, he won't be playing in this game. But running back Kylan Hill has declared for NFL draft, but he will play in this game. He's looking to break the the Cowbell single season leading rusher all-time record. I, I don't think the absence of Dantzler, cornerback, is going to be that big because Louisville's, one of the most rush-heavy offenses in all of college football. They're 11th at run rate. Uh, and even in passing downs, that's, that's all they're trying to do is run the ball. And that's just been a reflection of the quarterbacks that Louisville has had. The Cardinals are going to be without their tackle, McKee Becton. And I think that that is the biggest thing that people aren't talking about here. He's first-team all-ACC offensive tackle. He is considered the best run blocker in the nation, and he will not be there. It's a huge loss for Louisville on the offensive line. It's going to affect how they run their offense. It's going to affect how many points they put up on the board. This Mississippi State team is at full strength. They'll dominate the clock with Kylan Hill and an offense that's top 10 in line yards and top 25 in finishing drives. Give me Mississippi State all day. Yeah, and both of these teams are actually
1: slow. They play slow. You might not think it with Louisville, but Mississippi State's an absolute snail. Both, But both finish drives very successfully against defenses that don't really stop posing offense what they get in the red zone. But you're right. The Mississippi State defense, their season-long numbers, are probably, you probably can't take a look at them. And you even saw that when they played in the Egg Bowl. All, their defense looked a lot better against Ole Miss. They held them to 20 points. Um All right, so let's move on to the other game at four. Illinois, California, Cals minus six over under 44, I believe. It's sitting at 43 now, Cals minus six and a half. Uh, this game's at 4 Eastern on Fox and Santa Clara. What do you see here?
2: Yeah, I mean, Illinois, I don't know how you can get behind a team that always has a post-game win expectancy below 50% when they win games, especially the what they pulled off against the Spartans, trailing 31-10 going into the fourth. Cal had a perfect season in through September, and then you know, they, they had an injury to Garbers, and you know he was big for the team this year because they weren't turning the ball over, despite the fact that Cal's defense wasn't as efficient as it was last year. There's so many suspensions in this game on the Cal side. Defensively, they have three starters out. Uh, that account, you know, that accounts for ten passes, defense, multiple interceptions, and forced fumbles. They had a, a suspension there too. But Illinois' pace of play is top twenty-five, and I expect Brandon Peters to go at the Cal secondary immediately in standard downs because of those suspensions. And then on the offensive side for Cal, they was suspended wide receiver Jordan Duncan. He was second in the team in receiving yards. You know, Illinois' defense gave up forty-four passes over twenty-plus yards. They ranked ninety-third against the explosive pass. And Garbers has. There's eight other wide receivers, uh, you know, in the stat box that have at least ten receptions. So I think the loss of Duncan at wide receiver is not going to be, you know, missed that much. I'm going to take the over. I mean, these are two defenses that are terrible at defending the explosive pass. We got plenty of players missing for Cal in the back seven. Uh, I think it, uh, you wouldn't think it with Cal, but I think this screams points.
1: Yeah, I wanted Cal. I thought this line was going to open a lot lower. Uh, I don't see any value with them now. I might take them live. It actually opened a really sharp number right where I had it. I mean, this Cal offense is a lot different with Garber's. What were they, 6-0 and when Garber started a quarterback this year? Right. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's a different offense with him intact. Uh, there is Monday Night Football. We're going to cover that on Sunday's pod. In, that'll be out on Monday morning between Florida and Virginia. We have to move on to second down here. And then second down... Let's talk the Friday Afternoon Bowls. Just an updated thought or two on the two games that we covered in the previous pod. Michigan State, Wake Forest. Michigan State's now a four-point favorite over under 50. And then you have UNC Temple. UNC's out to six uh, over under 53. Any updated thoughts here?
2: Now, Scotty Washington and, and Newman playing a quarterback for Wake Forest. I like them to cover the spread, especially at four. I think there's going to be more points than, than what is projected. And, and I love North Carolina. The market's starting to reflect that. They've jumped up to minus six now. But uh, this is a play-on team with North Carolina heading into 2020. All right. Then before we get out of here, third down.
1: Turning good weekends into great weekends. It's time for the Moneyline Parlay. Our Moneyline Underdog Parlay for the rest of bowl season. So your favorite Moneyline
2: Underdog, who you got? I'm going to take Florida State. Uh, I, I know it's crazy in the Sun Bowl, the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl, but uh, with multiple players sitting on both sides, I think it comes down to the coordinators, and the coordinators for Florida State are going to be Kendall Bryles, new Arkansas offensive coordinator, and uh, Harlan Barnett, who, who you know is, is a great defensive coordinator. Uh, I think that is the huge advantage for the Seminoles in this game, and, and, and they're going to make halftime adjustments and win this game.
1: Arizona State's leading rusher, you know, Benjamin, and leading receiver uh, are both out think, for yeah. this game. So that's big. And uh, Herman Edwards, every single game this year, they, they, it's just a one-possession game. So this probably shouldn't be any different. I think Florida State wins, too. I like that. Uh, I'm going to go with the same one I went with last year in, in our favorite ball underdog, line play, which came through. Uh, a guy who's a god on road and neutral fields, a guy who's a god against the spread as an underdog. Uh, I'm going with Baylor again. I'm not sure how much Georgia will care here. And we'll touch on that game much more in future pods and on the preview. But thanks for listening. Uh, Thanks for joining me, Colin. We will be back, like I said, on Monday morning with a loaded podcast covering a ton of bowls on New Year's Eve, New Year's Day. Make sure you subscribe, unsubscribe, subscribe. uh, Rate, review, tell a friend, tell an enemy. Thanks again for listening. We'll catch you all later. Cheers. Peace out.
2: It's the morning.
1: If you don't bet on a bowl, does the bowl even exist?